0: foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith." Last week, those of us who are here, we were beginning to look at that section beginning verse 16 where Paul expresses his enthusiasm and his confidence in the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he says. In other words, I'm thrilled with the gospel. I'm proud of it. It's not something he's ever going to keep quiet about. He is enthusiastic. He said, I'm eager to come to you. I want to preach amongst you uh, and... uh, Uh, This is his, his enthusiasm, his confidence in the gospel because it's powerful, he says. It's relevant, it's good news. That's what the gospel is. It's good news, powerful, relevant, good news, and Paul is enthusiastic about it. Then he goes on to say what makes it so powerfully relevant. He says, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness... That is, by faith from first to last. Just as it's written, the righteous will live by faith. There in verse 17, he's explaining or beginning to explain why he's so thrilled with this gospel, uh, why it is so powerfully relevant. He's going to go on in uh, the succeeding verses to expound that. But here in verse 17, there are three crucial words that I want us to look at. He says, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. The three words, revelation, righteousness, and faith. He says, in the gospel, righteousness from God is revealed. The gospel is a revelation from God. That means God making something clear that previously had been there, but hidden. It's like something is there under wraps and God lifts the wraps off so what was hidden, what was concealed, the outline of it could be seen, but it couldn't clear, the detail couldn't be seen. Now the wraps are off and it is made clear. In the Gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. So it's not new truth. It's eternal truth. It had always been there, but concealed. And indeed, he makes that clear, doesn't he? In verse 2 of this chapter, he says, The Gospel God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The Old Testament always said this. This is not something new. It's just people had not seen it. It was under wraps. We need revelation. If we're ever to see anything about God, understand anything about God, we need God to take the wraps off. We need God to reveal it to us. With regard to God, Paul is going to go on to say a few verses further down in verse 21. With regard to God, unless God brings revelation, we're in the dark. He says in verse 21, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor give thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. People are in the dark, groping in the dark. And not only that, he, he expounds this elsewhere, adding to... The, the, the picture in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. Uh, sorry, uh, in 2 Corinthians 4. Let's go to that one first. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. Then we'll come back to 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, he says there, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is the image of God. He goes on to say God who said let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's saying that people have been blinded. They can't see the glory of Christ. They can't see the light of the gospel. God has, uh, the, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. But God has made his light shine in our hearts. We need revelation. In the dark, blindfold. That's humanity. Stumbling along, thinking they're wise, thinking they know the way, but blindfold and in the dark. And worse than that, or in addition to that, they're quite incapable. We, by nature, are quite incapable of ever understanding anything about God. In 1 Corinthians two fourteen, the verse I accidentally mentioned earlier, the man without the spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He can't understand them because they're spiritually discerned. That's our position by birth. In the dark, blind, and quite unable, quite incapable of understanding spiritual things. We need revelation. Information isn't enough. We need revelation. We need the light to dawn. Information isn't enough. Some people, some Christians, it seems to me, are prepared to stay with information. Very well informed, and yet knowing nothing. We're living in a day, aren't we, where of information overload. There is so much information available at the click of a mouse. In the course of my work, I meet a lot of young guys who are just heavily... Well, they're information junkies. they spiritual information junkies. You know, I, I meet with guys and they, they start telling me, you know, have, have you seen the latest thing from Piper, Driscoll, Keller, whatever the, the latest buzz uh, person is, and they're into this. They can quote. They know not only what they've said about every conceivable doctrine, they know what they've said about each other, and they know the whole stuff. And... As I talk to these guys, it's stimulating, fascinating to get into dialogue about all of this stuff, but there's an uneasy feeling. Information, information, information. What's God saying to you? It's the truth getting through. I don't get the note of worship as you talk about these profound doctrines that these guys discuss. Information. But we need revelation. We need the penny to drop. We need God to bring light into our spirit so that wonderful truth blesses our heart and edifies us. Let's be careful about just information, stocking our brain up, reading the latest thing, hearing the latest thing, iPod, whatever. We're just bombarding our brains with information. What about revelation? What, what awe is coming into your spirit? What, are you hearing God when you hear all these great people or less great people listening to people here, are you hearing God? Or is it just information? It's possible to be around information and to be very well informed and know nothing. How do I know that's true? Well, you see it in the Bible. You see, when Jesus begins into his ministry, the Son of God. God made flesh on planet Earth, and He's amongst people who are so well informed. The, the Jewish people taught the law from infancy, and then the, the leaders of the Jews said they, they could quote the law and legal precedents, they knew what everyone had said about everything. But they didn't know anything. And the Son of God comes, they don't recognize Him. Jesus. Protest uh, in John chapter 5 when they're arguing with him. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, you diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. And that's good. But these are the Scriptures that testify about me, says Jesus. Yet yeah, you refuse to come to me to have life. Oh, they've got all the information. They're missing the point the light hasn't dawned. Do you remember when Paul arrived in Athens and uh, he goes, uh, Acts 17, he goes to Mars Hill and it says all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. A place of all the new stuff buzzing around they, they just spent their time doing... They didn't have iPods, but if they had, they'd have had them plugged in. They've got... They, they know the latest stuff. Have you heard this? And Paul goes there and preaches about the unknown God. Information and an unknown God. We need revelation. We can cut down on the information and start letting some stuff get through to us. Not, you know, when I meet with guys... I'm not just talking about people here. Obviously, in the course of my work, I meet a lot of young guys who are into all of this stuff. And I just long to hear a note of worship. And they discuss concepts. And they discuss ideas. I think, what's touching your heart? What's changing you? Where's worship? Revelation. God is a God who brings revelation. Can I say, on the law of averages... It is likely to be the case that there is a significant number of people here who have got information, but they haven't seen the point. Paul wrestled with that all the time. You read the letters he writes to his churches, how he's pleading with them. With the Ephesians, he says, I pray that God will enlighten the eyes of your heart so that you'll know Him. He said, you need Revelation. While writing to the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He said, I'm in labor pains so that Christ will be formed in you. Because they're just turning away. They haven't seen the point. Got the information, but it hasn't settled with them. Well, what information has reached your heart? What have you got hold of? I fear, let me be honest here, I fear that there will be a significant number of people who have heard teaching about the church and still don't know what it's about. They haven't got revelation about it. Had teaching about grace and you're still not in grace. You can maybe quote the scriptures, but it hasn't got to your spirit. And other truths. You've heard it. you got the notes. You get the CDs. You download it. But has it got to you? you got hold of it. You see it. Now this is honesty time. You see it every time we run a commitment course. Another commitment course, you know, seven weeks where people, or seven sessions where people go through this is what we believe. And we talk about the church. And we talk about uh, this. that We're not just into going to church. We believe the church is a body. That it moves as one. And we talk about some of the things we do. And we say, "Yeah, we're together. In it. We don't just opt in and out. As we, we've seen the church. Now if you want to join this, we say, there's the form. Fill it in sign. And say, I want to be part of this. Oh yes, they say. We want to be part of it. And do you see them at the prayer meeting? No. Yeah, it's... You've heard the words, you haven't got the revelation. Heard the doctrines, you've seen the scriptures. Oh, yes, I assent to that. I'll sign on the line. Insincerity. I'm not saying anyone's being insincere. I'm not blaming anyone. Just saying revelation. Have Have you seen the church? Do you understand it's the passion of Christ? Have you understood grace? And it's not grace means I don't have to do things. It's grace that says, I want to. My heart is changed. Have you understood it as it got through to you? But Paul prays for his people. He, he says, you know, what he says to the Galatians, I'm suffering labor pains for you, he says. Because he knows he can't make them see it. He knows that he can only tell them the words, but they need revelation. So he's praying. Let me just say I pray for you. I think I've been here now nearly twelve years. How many people have understood yet? I pray. I I name people. (laughs) Don't alarm you. But I name people in my prayers. Oh God, I want them to see it. I want to get hold of revelation. Only God can enable us to see. Do you remember? uh, I think in in Luke 10 or thereabouts, sorry, this is a bit kind of spontaneous, but never mind. In Luke 10, Jesus has sent out his 72 disciples. They come back saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And it says, verse 21, at that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. The disciples have got hold of something, you see. They've seen it. They've seen it. And Jesus is thrilled. The Father has revealed it. Oh, thank you, Lord. You've, you've hidden it from the wise. These Pharisees and all these people have got all the information. They haven't seen a thing. But these nobodies seen it. Oh, Father, thank you. You've revealed it. It's your good pleasure. It's the Father's good pleasure to reveal things. So we don't just have the information. It's into our heart. And it is mixed with faith. So what do we do about it? Well, I said, I pray for you. But we can pray for ourselves. In Psalm 119, verse 18, There's a wonderful prayer. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. We can be around truth and not see it. We can be around wonderful things and miss the point. It happened with Jesus. It happened with Paul. Time and again, Jesus is saying, have I been so long with you and you still don't understand? In Luke chapter 24, right at the end, it says, then he opened their minds so they could understand. He finally caused the penny to drop for them. And we need to say, Lord, open my eyes. How about we stop right now and just pray that before we go on? Do you want to pray that? Do you dare pray that? Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your word. Do you want to see something this morning? Let's just pray right where you are. You just pray it. Father, we humbly acknowledge before you we can only see what you show us. We confess our own blindness, lack of sensitivity, so prone to miss the point, latch on to the concept and not get the truth. Oh God, I pray answer every prayer that has been prayed in sincerity right now and bring some revelation. Thank you, Lord. It is your good pleasure, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Well, the second key word there in verse 17 is righteousness. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. The gospel takes the wraps of righteousness. Now, if you translated it word for word, what they would actually say in verse 17 is, in it, God's righteousness is revealed. Which then begs the question, God's righteousness, are we talking about the righteousness that God has God is righteous. In other words, the gospel reveals how righteous God is. Or is it talking about the righteousness that God gives? And the original, the Greek, doesn't make that clear. It could be either. In the gospel, or in it, God's righteousness is revealed. Let's take that first option, that in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. The righteousness that God has is terrifyingly awesome. Think back into the Old Testament in the prophecy of Isaiah. when in Right at the start of his prophecy in chapter 6, he says, I saw the Lord. And it says, Above him were seraphs, these heavenly beings, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. There are these incredible heavenly beings in the presence of God and they cover their faces. That's how awesome God is. For Isaiah, well, he says, woe to me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The, The sheer righteousness of God undoes Him. What he thought about himself when he came into that situation, we don't know. But at that point, he suddenly realizes how filthy he is. Not only his own filth, but also his amongst people whose filth rubs off on him and his on theirs. Woe to me, I'm ruined. Unless we're ruined, we will never really understand the sheer mercy of God. The gospel begins there. It reveals God's righteousness. His total, terrifying otherness, holiness that just undoes you. And you just want to hide. Even the seraphs cover their faces in the presence of God. That's where the gospel begins when we see that we haven't a hope of ever gaining God's approval. We, we haven't a hope. Not only of gaining his approval, but we would not dare to stand in his presence. We wouldn't want to be in his presence because we'd be totally undone. We know that we don't even meet our own standards. We make promises, we make resolutions, we state our intentions, and we know how those intentions fail. Uh, we can all identify with that. We can see it graphically portrayed in chapter 7 of Paul's letters of the Romans when he's speaking about life, just knowing God's law, but not having God's spirit, and it just leads to despair. You, you see the law of God and you say, it's good, but well, I can't do it. And every time I try, I fail, and you end up in the despair of what a wretched man I am who will deliver me. That's us. And the gap between us and God, the gap between our righteousness such as it is, which is non-existent, and God's righteousness can only lead to despair. And that realization is so important. Paul is going to dwell on that theme Sorry about this, but Paul is going to dwell on that theme through to chapter 3, verse 20. If we keep going at this a verse at a time, I tell you, by the end of the year, (laughs) we're going to realize we can't do anything that will ever please God. That's us. We're in the dark. We need God. But the good news, the good news is... That God gives righteousness. The righteousness of God, or as the NIV puts it, righteousness from God. God's righteousness is something that he gives, and that's the theme of the letter. So in chapter 3, verse 21, but now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This is the good news. We start by seeing how awesomely holy God is, and we dare not come before Him. And this awesome God, incredibly, has made a way where His righteousness can be conveyed to us who deserve nothing and deserve to flee His presence but righteousness from God. In the gospel, in the good news, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. God gives righteousness. Righteousness means right standing with God. And how can we have a right standing with God unless we're holy? Right standing with God means holiness given to us or put to our account. We we can stand before God with a well-founded confidence. How? Well, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is going to go on to expound that about redemption in Christ, about the wrath of God being turned aside because Jesus suffered the wrath of God in our place. He's going to speak about atonement. He's going to speak about all these wonderful truths. What Jesus has done, He has done it for us, taking our sin on Himself being punished in our place, our substitute, dying for us so that His righteousness can be given to us. And we, having done nothing good, can have a confident standing with God. That's the essence of the Gospel. Standing before God with a well-founded confidence. Not hopeful, not doubting. But a well-founded confidence that we can come before God with confidence, knowing we're nothing, but we know that Jesus, Jesus died in our place. And because of that, there is righteousness. See why we need revelation? Because if we don't have revelation, our conscience will never allow us to accept that. We'll get the truths, quote the verses. But our conscience will be always saying that can't be true. You know you're no good. God can't possibly love you. That's what our conscience will keep telling us. And furthermore, the devil is the accuser of the brothers, and so he will be making sure that our our conscience is pretty active. Accusing. And then we need revelation. Jesus died for me. His righteousness is mine. And I come before God with a well-founded confidence. My confidence is founded on the promises of God here in Scripture. And God is not a human being that he should lie. He tells the truth. And I believe the truth. Revelation that deals with our conscience. So we can come confidently before God. And then that right standing with God. It's the essence of our life. We love to stand before Him. We don't just get busy in activity and ignore God. No, God has enabled me to come before Him clean. Well, then that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to enjoy. If that's made available, then prayer doesn't be, isn't an ought of something I need to do and I'm not thinking, am I good at praying or not? That is not the issue. The issue is, I, with all my frailty and stupidity, can come before God because of Jesus. So I do it to stand before Him. That's what. Nothing else matters as much as that. Nothing else can be so important. That is the key feature of this powerful gospel. Don't you think Paul has understood that? When he remembers all the stuff he had done, he remembers where he started, persecuting the church, hating the name of Jesus Christ, refusing to believe that Jesus was the Christ, passionately opposing the church, persecuting, having Christians put into jail, some killed. That's his track record. How dare he come before God? Well, because of Jesus. The slate wiped clean. He's not going to claw his way back into God's favor. Favor is given to him. Wow, what a powerful gospel. What a powerful message. Anyone can be right with God. It's not certain types of people are likely to be Christians. Oh, that person would make a good Christian. We sometimes say, no, anyone there's an old hymn that said, The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. The vilest offender. Paul was among the vilest. Righteousness from God. God is righteous. But wonderfully, He gives righteousness. In the Gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness, it says here in this version, is by faith from first to last just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Or again, word for word translation, righteousness that is revealed from face to face. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith or the righteous by faith will live. There are all kinds of alternatives there. Let's unravel it. First of all, it's talking about faith. And when it's talking about faith, it is contrasting believing with striving and earning, what the, the New Testament calls law. When you're trying to achieve a relationship with God on the basis of the things that you do, that is doomed to failure. If we try to get a relationship with God on that basis, what we'll find is that we can never meet the target because failing one thing it's as if we've failed in all. There's only one human being who has ever had a right relationship with God on the basis of obeying the law and that's the Lord Jesus Christ who fully obeyed. No one else, no one else can because every instinct in us is against God's law. So, law, that's not... Striving, effort, earning, that will never get us a relationship with God. Again, we need revelation of that. That faith is the alternative. Faith is shorthand for rejecting all that I can achieve and believing in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the death and resurrection of Christ. My sin is fully dealt with. And because Jesus is alive, I am now free to live a life that pleases God because this Jesus who is alive puts His Spirit in me. That sh- faith is shorthand for all of that—a righteousness that is by faith, simply believing it. Again, we need revelation because everything in us will say well, that's not enough. Surely, surely that's cheating. Can't be. That can't be all. That's believing. That's why the early Christians were called believers. They believed. A righteousness that is from faith to faith, or by faith from first to last. We can't come up with faith. Faith is not some human faculty. We sometimes try to illustrate faith by referring to everyday things that express a kind of faith. That's that's just human faith. We can't naturally believe God. We need God to bring revelation to us so faith comes as a work of God. We're naturally unbelievers. But God gives faith so that we believe this gospel and then we live by faith. It's by faith from first to last. We get launched into a life of believing God. Standing before God with well-founded confidence because we're launched into a life of just believing Him. It's not great faith, it's just faith. It's the righteous will live by faith, or the one who is righteous by faith will live. Either way, it amounts to the same thing. Crucial to it is faith. That we believe God, and it's on that basis that we live, and that living is living as opposed to death. It's a new kind of living. It's a living that is characterized by faith in the work of the cross and the empty tomb. When Paul's writing to the Galatians, in Galatians chapter 2, as Paul is reasoning with these dear people that he saw come to faith and yet they're turning away from faith and they're going back to what they'd come out of because they haven't seen it. He says in chapter 20 of Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Gave himself for me. See what he's saying there. I have been crucified with Christ. Okay, you're facing this direction. So this guy here, me, I, with all my failures, my sin, my rebellion, my stupidity, my blindness, all of that stuff, and you can add any other insult you want to into the mix, all of that, crucified with Christ. When Jesus was crucified, he's in my place And so it's as if I am nailed there. The life that I had, which was a living death, under sentence of death, crucified, that life was always failing. Because the flesh was stronger than me, I couldn't resist it. And so I sinned. But that life of failure, nailed on the cross, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. You might say, well, who's this standing on the platform then? That person no longer lives. The life I live in the body, the body is still here, but the life I live in this body, I, that is me, inside this body that you have the misfortune to have to look at, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's a new kind of life. The Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I'm living a life believing in the cross. Believing that what happened there put paid to that life of inability, failure, rebellion, blindness, all of that stuff. Crucified. And now I am not subject to all of that anymore. I'm living by faith in the Son of God. I'm still living in the body. My body is no more regenerate than it ever was. But I am. I'm born again, I know the Savior, He knows me, and I'm now living in this body, but I'm not living according to this body anymore. I'm living by faith in the Son of God. That's life. It's a life of faith. The body will still give the same signals. And we all have different ways that we're wired. Some will be particularly wired towards sort of depression, Gloom, incidentally, I saw in the press this week a report that being gloomy actually makes your brain work more sharply. That's a wonderful bit of information. So when I wake up feeling absolutely fed up, I think, wow, I'm really going to be sharp today. Uh, Anyway, that's by the way. We're wired in different ways, and we react in different ways, but we're not subject to that. All of those things will still be, those signals will still be there, but we're living by faith tell ourselves, the Son of God loved me. I think, it's, to me, that's one of the most wonderful scriptures. The Son of God who loved me gave himself for me. If you were to go on Facebook and look at my site where it says religion on my, hit my one. Religion, the Son of God who loved me and gave, that's my religion. The Son of God who loved me gave himself for me. I live by faith in that. That's life. It's by faith from first to last. It's living justified. Living at peace with God. Living dealing with sin. Living growing in grace. It's not returning to being condemned and excluded and hopeless and nobody loves me, no one will ever love me, I'm miserable. We're not in that. Our body might tell us that stuff. He said, no, I live by faith in the Son of God. And He has saved me for eternity. And He has put me in His church and He has put me there to be a blessing and I will believe that. And we all receive that by faith for ourselves. We, it's a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. The righteous will live by faith. Not by our instincts. Not by the way we're wired. Not by what people say to us or dump on us. We're living by faith in the Son of God. We need revelation for that. We need God to show us that. You can get the information. Hear the words. But oh God, open my eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Lord, I want to see it and live in it. That's why Paul is so enthusiastic. God broke into his closed mind. God broke into his closed, self-righteous world and brought revelation. Happened in an instant. He's going about his horrible business and suddenly there's revelation, his Damascus Road experience, literally. Revelation, and he sees Jesus. Everything changed. Everything changed. Then it's time to assimilate it, but it's revelation. He didn't strive towards that. He wasn't literally kind of on a journey towards that. He was on a journey, but not towards that. God brought revelation, changed everything. And now he's living in it. And he's seeing thousands of other people get that revelation. And he's seeing the church of the Lord Jesus Christ grow, but then he's also aware of others who are just going through the motions, getting the information, say, oh God, open their eyes. This is not about boring going to church once a, a day, uh, once a, one day a week. It's not about just going to church. It's not about the pressure of having to do this, being expected to do that or whatever. Those who see it that way need Stage one, revelation. Lord, let me see it. I don't want to just be around it and miss it. Lord, I want to hear. I want to see it. I want it to change my life. I want to live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me.